I think if you look at these by country, you'll see that some countries are on par with the U.S. in terms of pricing based on the procedure. But a lot of times you'll find a country or a procedure that is significantly cheaper. And so, you know, you can make a vacation of it if if you're able to. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to see it broken down like that because transparency in pricing with respect to medical procedures is just hard to find. But to your point, there are a lot of people and organizations kind of realizing that, hey, this is becoming a trend. And I think the rise of medical tourism is kind of forcing the issue with respect to transparency. And now people are actually able to make better informed decisions. Welcome to the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Julian. And today we are diving into medical tourism. Mm, fun. Yeah. This is actually one of the first of a few follow ups that we've kind of gotten from the last couple of episodes. So I'm actually excited to, to talk about this one because I learned some stuff in researching and Hopefully the people listening will learn something, too. Yeah, uh, this is a topic I I really enjoy doing research on. It's been something that was been on my mind because I see it popping up in some of the social circles that we're a part of. But I have to give credit to our good friend. And I'm trying hard not to say her name, but uh, <laughs> she is um, Purple. We know her as Purple. She runs a blog, APurpleLife.com. Uh, I would imagine at some point in the future, she will actually hear this and then shoot me a text message or make fun of me in some way, because that's just the type of relationship that she has. But she's an amazing person. Uh, at the moment, she's traveling the world. And one of the things that she's been doing during that process is sharing some of her experiences, which is what she does typically, but she has also been really great at sharing some of these unique experiences. One of the things that I was particularly intrigued about during her time in Mexico was she was talking about her experience with medical tourism and really just like blowing my mind with some of the prices. And so she was talking about one of the experiences that she had filling a prescription. She got four prescriptions filled for the equivalent of $2.50 in U.S. dollars. Which is crazy. That would have been about $60 uh, in the U.S., as you can look at the uh, conversions. She outlines her experience visiting uh, what's called a Pharmacia Similares. I think I'm saying that correctly. But it's basically uh, a version of an urgent care. It's like a quick doctor's visit mm-hmm. that you can do. If you've ever been to urgent care, you know that you're probably going to spend a couple hundred dollars, mm-hmm. even with health insurance. In her case, it was like 50 pesos, which again was like $2.50. This is part of the reason why she traveled there. But she's not the only person that we know that has done this recently. Uh, I have to give another shout out to our friends. They are not international, but they live in Texas. So it's Lynette and Earl. When we think about these two, it's like we're looking into the future. I'm yeah. like, all right, this is what we have to look forward to. They are uh, like big brother and sister to us, but they regularly visit Mexico as well. And in mm-hmm. their case, they went down for, I want to say like a month or so. Yeah, they go for like six week periods yeah. a couple of times a year. And it's like, we'll spend a couple of weeks at this part of the country, this time at this resort. And at least one of these cases, they made a point to get some dental work done. And mm-hmm. they were also saying, hey, guys. This is a thing, right? We're doing it. We're sharing these details. Basically, they got a deep cleaning done, a crown, x-rays for two people, and it came out to about $520, which included a transfer to and from the resort where they were staying. And when she compared that to what she would have spent if they got that work done in the U.S., it was basically like 
25% of mm-hmm. the actual cost. So yeah. we're intrigued. We did some research. We wanted to learn more. And that's part of the reason why we're sharing and talking about it today. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of way back when, when we were young spring chickens and we went to Thailand and learned that you could get custom clothes made yes. there for super cheap. Like yes. you Suits. can get, yeah, a whole suit oh, tailored yeah. In Thailand for, again, a a fraction of what it would cost you to buy a new off-the-rack suit in the U.S. Well, and certainly a custom suit. And certainly a custom suit. I mean, and and it's not just suits. Like, I had a pair of silk pajamas made. And even, even with just medical experience, I remember getting sick in Mexico City from eating you know, something at the local, one of the local cuisines and the staff downstairs had like a doctor bring me some very specific medicine that like knocked it out in like 24 hours. It turned my tongue black, but it worked. <laughs> like there was no asking for insurance card. There was no bill. Yeah. I'm assuming they just chalked it up to the room. So I think there's a lot of opportunity here if you're going into it with an open mind. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about healthcare and how expensive it is in the U.S. And at this point, it's no secret. <laughs> the system or marketplace, as we call it, yeah. that we have in the U.S. is consistently ranked as one of the worst and definitely the most expensive. And like we talked about in an episode a couple of weeks ago, the rankings look at a variety of factors. But when you zero in on factors like access to care, which is largely influenced by income or the percentage of income required to get the care that you need, the U.S. is ranked last among leading countries. So while our politicians, insurance companies and doctors continue to find ways to improve, there are lots of people that are just getting savvy and finding other more affordable ways of getting the care that they need. Yeah. And I have to be honest, I was very naive to um, kind of the, the the cost implications. I mean, obviously we had our experience when our son was, bur- was born in 2017, where it was like, all right, we got the quote, we've had a budget, you know, we prepared for it, but then there were all these other little things that kept happening. And it was like, wow, I can't imagine how normal families deal with these kinds of things because they were some really big bills. But more recently I had an experience and I won't get into all of the details, but basically I needed a prescription. And the first thing that the doctor prescribed was not available and I really wanted to get it done quickly. So I was like, all right, I'm not going to wait because like it had already been a couple of weeks. And I was like, I want something now. Is there another option? What else can you give me? They made a secondary uh, recommendation and the quote for that. So the first quote was for a prescription. And I want to say it was like 60 or $70. The second quote was for around $3,500. And I remember refreshing the screen like, <laughs> nah, that can't be right. And to be clear, this is something he would take for like four or five days. Yeah. Like I was like, no, an annual This cost. is not a life-threatening <laughs> no. situation. It's just like really uncomfortable. Like I'm over it. Like what, what you got, Doc? And it was like, we got this. And it was so bad that even when I got the call from the, um, or the prompt rather, from the pharmacy saying that, hey, it's ready. They then canceled it. And then when I called, I was like, what do you mean? Like, they were like, it's $3,500. You know, like even they were like, <laughs> you ain't paying. You this. ain't got it. Or you're not paying $3,500. I don't want you to pay for this. Let me help you. Right. Like I was going to call you. Sorry, I got busy. But it's 30. I was like, wow, like this is crazy. And so all of that to say, I ended up getting the, the original prescription filled and everything was fine. But that was the first time that I was like, if that's the case, like I'll just go to Canada. Mm-hmm. Like I will just hop on. Like if if my only option 
is to pay $3,500. Like I can very quickly do the math in my head and say, yes, a hotel night, a flight to Canada Mm -hmm. and me figuring out where I can get this at a pharmacy or somewhere else, or even Mexico for that matter is way less expensive. Uh, So all of that to say, like the idea and sort of my journey or path in medical tourism has been really, really intriguing. And, um, you know, I think it's something that a lot of people should be considering. Yeah. So let's start with a couple of fun facts just to give you a glimpse of the size of the pie, as I like to call it. A study published in the American Journal of Medicine revealed that the number of medical tourists to all countries in 2017 was estimated at about 14 to 16 million people. So that's a global number. The number of medical tourists from the United States has increased from about 750,000 people in 2007 to over 1.4 million a decade later in 2017. Now, the exact statistics for medical tourism are really difficult to confirm because no one really agrees on what the definition, but these estimations kind of indicate a strong potential for medical tourism to continue to grow. Doubling the traffic in 10 years, again, is something that isn't really normal in in trends from the United States. So that's kind of exciting to see. Now, to your point, the top countries that Americans are visiting include Canada, Mm -hmm. Singapore, Dubai, Japan, Costa Rica, Panama, Mexico, Malaysia, India, South Korea, the UK, Thailand, and Spain. Which, you know, some of those were surprising. but Yeah, I didn't expect to see the UK up there at first. But, yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I imagine just because it's, I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know enough reason. about it. Yeah. I just did not anticipate seeing it there. And then the most common work or procedures that people are getting done are dentistry, cosmetic surgery, IVF is a big one, cardiovascular health, weight loss, dermatology, liver and kidney transplants, and spinal surgery. Wow. So... Again, power of the internet and and crowdsourcing and sharing, we were able to find charts available that break down the estimated cost by country and by procedure. So a couple of examples, I'm not going to go through all of these. A knee replacement. A knee replacement on average costs you $40,000 in the U.S. My mom just, well, she didn't get a knee replacement, but she- She, she kind of did. Well, yeah, I guess she did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was getting her mixed up because your dad had some. Everybody's got yeah, everybody has something had, done. Yeah, things falling apart. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's forty thousand dollars in the U.S. If she were to have that same surgery in India, it would be six to nine thousand dollars. If she wanted to go to Singapore, it'd be twelve thousand dollars. So again, significantly cheaper than what it costs in the U.S. for the same surgery. Yeah, uh, something like a breast reduction, ten thousand dollars in the U.S. In India. in Singapore, $8,000. So not as much of a savings. I think if you look at these by country, you'll see that some countries are on par with the U.S. in terms of pricing based on the procedure. But a lot of times you'll find a country or a procedure that is significantly cheaper. And so, you know, you can make a vacation of it if, if you're able to. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to see it broken down like that because transparency in pricing with respect to medical procedures is just hard to find. But to your point, there are a lot of people and organizations kind of realizing that, hey, this is becoming a trend. And I think the rise of medical tourism is kind of forcing the issue with respect to transparency. And now people are actually able to make better informed decisions. So obviously these aren't literal quotes in everyone's situation will vary, but 
it's pretty clear that due to a variety of factors, there are opportunities to save money. In some cases, they just may require you to leave the United States. Mm -hmm. Now, the CDC has weighed in on this. They are a little mixed. Big surprise. Big surprise. They have (laughs) uh, an entire webpage dedicated to the topic of medical tourism. And they spent quite a bit of time talking about the potential risks, which, again, is kind of what they do. I am sure that if you're new to this topic, you have some questions. You're probably like, I am not going across or overseas to get any work done. Uh, And so here are some of the issues that the CDC has outlined. Obviously, the threat of getting an infectious disease is one. Um, What they're referring to as antibiotic resistance, which is a concern. It's a global problem. But um, again, it's it's something that they're calling out. Quality of care is a Mm -hmm. concern. Communication challenges, which is a really big issue. I mean, obviously, if you're getting uh, a procedure done and you it, it's a life-threatening issue like you want to be able to communicate clearly with your doctor they went so far to even call out issues such as air travel meaning mm-hmm. depending on the type of issue that you have and the risk of the flight the pressure might affect like blood clots or something like that it might be worse with you coming back having just got the work done those kinds oh, of things the continuity of care so like you know to be fair like they're doing their job they're saying hey It's out there. Let's just make sure that we're outlining some of the risks. But yeah, the CDC has expressed uh, some pretty (laughs) clear concerns. They're not weighing in on it and saying, hey, you know, you should certainly do this, which makes sense. But they're doing their job. They're saying, hey, look, these these are things you should consider. Yeah, I used to travel to the Dominican Republic for work to visit one of our sites out there. And that's a huge place for medical tourism, specifically around women who want specific cosmetic enhancements. And so it was always interesting to see when I was coming back to Atlanta, the line of wheelchairs from people who had just completed their surgery was like 10x what you would see in a normal... I have questions, but... (laughs) Normal (laughs) airport. And I was always like, whenever there'd be a delay or an outage, because there always was due to tropical nature of the Dominican Republic, I was like, man, like, are they okay? Do they need pain meds? Do they need to roll over or change their, like, bandages? (laughs) Like, how does this work? So I think these are fair, you know, things to call out. At the same time, and not to stir the pot, but... This is kind of like the pot calling the kettle black. Like, look at that double idiom for the wind. Shout out to linguistic nerds. You <laughs> caught it. Stirring the pot. Pot calling the kettle black. Anyway. Congratulations. <laughs> the only reason I bring this up is because the U.S. ranks last among developed countries in terms of providing quality health care. We spend more than any other country despite getting lower outcomes. And we you know, have kind of fumbled the execution of a global pandemic and overwhelmed our healthcare system, a lot of it was preventable. And so if anything, considering the fact that we have this marketplace, I kind of welcome medical tourism as a form of competition Mm -hmm. because it applies this pressure to U.S. companies and hospitals and administration Mm -hmm. to compete for for the patient's dollars either lower the cost or improve the outcomes, or you run this risk of people taking matters into their own hands, which is what I think a lot of people are doing. Few things lead to strong outcomes in the United States than good old-fashioned competition. Somebody threatens to take away your money or Mm -hmm. your sales, your top line and your bottom line. All of a sudden, 
change or a reduction in prices or transparency and all that stuff. But I completely agree. It's like on one hand, we we talk about the benefits of a global society and we understand that we can enjoy lower price goods and services when things are outsourced. But then on the other hand, it's like, yeah, well, when we said that, we meant things like T-shirts right. and <laughs> corn and, yeah. you know, food and chicken and salmon. <laughs> we didn't mean like medical stuff, Heart right? Surgery. Let's not disrupt this very lucrative industry over here. So the good news is with respect to a lot of those concerns and kind of the state of in-between that we're in is that there are organizations or people who've already found an in-between solution given the rise in medical tourism. There's an organization called NASH, N-A-S-H, which stands for the North American Specialty Hospital. What they do is they provide pre-op evaluations here in the United States, and then they direct you to their partners in Cancun. So you Mm kind of get a little bit of the best of the both worlds. You sort of get a diagnosis here. Here's the plan. Here's the strategy. And then it's almost like they convert from a hospital or healthcare facility into like a travel agency. They connect you to exactly. They connect you to their partners. They recognize that, yeah, they can do the exact same work. They can do it for less, go through us. You Mm -hmm. get the savings, but you still get the comfort of knowing that your pre and your post-op experience is going to be with a doctor that is here locally within the United States. So Nash, uh, if you go through them or look them up, they provide all of the travel related arrangements. Again, they do all of the pre and the post-operative continuity of care. They offer you or connect you to concierge services on site in Cancun. They offer leading edge technology that includes the electronic transfer of medical records, which is huge, 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 because that is such an issue, even without this international layer. Yeah. Even just domestic, even just going to the doctor, you guys know, you show up, it's sit down, it's fill out the same form that you filled out a hundred times, even though you did it online and emailed it. Here it is. Here's a pen and paper. Fill it out again. They even go so far as to handle all of the accommodations for your companion. So, again, let's say you need someone to go with you. Uh, They basically help to kind of streamline that process, uh, not just for the travel experience, but also for the procedure. So I think it's the best of both worlds, uh, not even just for patients and Mm -hmm. for NASH, but also even for doctors and facilities in Cancun. I think everyone kind of benefits from this. Yeah. I wonder if there'll be a similar approach to elder care, which is a similar issue where it's just incredibly expensive and there's no real solution. I wonder if I could like organize a care situation in Mexico. (laughs) I think you could. I think you could. (laughs) So one of the other things I don't think people realize is that when they call it medical tourism, there's also this real layer of hospitality to it. There are literal hotels that are partnered with medical facilities to help you make the most of the experience, recover, and actually enjoy yourself, which is not a, a feeling you often associate with a medical procedure. So you talked about Nash and in Cancun, they've actually partnered with the bilingual concierge team at the Sheraton Four Points to assist people who are there for medical procedures. Now, the hotel is literally attached directly to the hospital in Cancun. It's ADA compliant. It's like a U.S. hotel, and there's extra love and attention put into things like the menu, the fitness center, all of this in service to the people who have dietary restrictions, may experience mobility issues, or just need special equipment after their procedure. 
we actually used to work in the hotel industry and have always known that there are hotels that rely on sort of being close to medical facilities mm-hmm. because that's important for people who have family and, and need to check on the patient. But this one is really taking it to the next level. And the actual experience of the hotel is designed with patients in mind versus just kind of being where people stay when they're at the hospital. Yeah, when I worked in the hotel industry, we obviously met working for the same company. Just a quick little fun fact for any recent listeners out there. Uh, but I used to be uh, responsible for the guest experience and guest experience innovation for a particular hotel brand. And so this was like really exciting because it was basically saying, hey, with this new um, a motivation or this new set of travelers, like what are we doing from a hotel experience a service perspective and a design perspective to care for those people. So if you try to envision, well, what does basically the future of a hotel room look like for medical tourism? It's like, all right, imagine your standard room. You've got things like your bed, you've got your television, you've got your bathroom. And I think people can think about this from a standpoint of ADA compliance, but Mm -hmm. this is kind of taking it to the next level. So the beds that you see in a hospital are very different from a bed in a hotel room. And so why not? Take or a version of those beds and incorporate that innovation. So you can imagine things like adjustable beds in hotel rooms or nurse call systems, mm-hmm. because again, you just had a procedure done. You might need some medical attention, bedside controls, because you may not be able to get up by yourself. You might have a completely different set of bathroom amenities. You're going to need more than just shampoo and conditioner. You might need gauze or antibiotic mm-hmm. cream or an entire first aid kit for that matter. You might have a need for different service expectations. So you mentioned when you were in Mexico that you needed drugs and they, <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> you needed cocaine. <laughs> and, <laughs> but the point is you might be in a position where it's like, Hey, I'm ordering room service. I would like to have pizza soup and like, Two mm-hmm. orders of this type of mm-hmm. uh, medical, you know, or, or drugs from the local pharmacia. You might have instead of just like a bellman and a front desk agent, there might be literally a nurse and yeah. a dietary uh, or dietitian on staff. There might be shifts to all inclusive pricing. Like instead of saying, hey, I, ju- I don't want this meal plan. I want this meal plan, which also includes medical attention. So there's so many layers to it that I as a still a bit of a nerd of the hospitality industry, like I'm really excited to see uh, what that does because it's truly an untapped industry. And I think with those kinds of numbers, when you're seeing twice as many travelers in a 10 year span, without question, it's safe to say that you're going to start seeing brands that are specifically designed to care for people who are traveling for medical tourism. Yeah, I could really see this being an extension of the airlines as well. Kind of like how Ronald McDonald has... I mean, McDonald's has Ronald McDonald House as like their service Uh, component. I could see airlines kind of participating in medical tourism from a nonprofit and supportive standpoint. I've also seen this sort of hospitality extended in the private sector. A lot of nurses who have left the field because the last, you know, three, four years have been crazy have kind of started these post-op they're not B&Bs, but they kind of are where, you know, if you are in Miami getting a very specific type of cosmetic surgery, like like maybe you want a tummy tuck Mm. or a mommy makeover or breast reduction, whatever it is, or it could be something more serious, but I've only seen it for the cosmetic surgeries. There are women who open up their houses. Again, they're former RNs and nurses where they will 
take care of you after the fact so you don't have to get on the plane immediately and go home to an empty house or to even if their house is not empty to a spouse who doesn't necessarily know how to change bandages and remove, you know, whatever may be going on. (laughs) So (laughs) no, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, it's not, a lot happens before you even get to the hotel. Oh yeah. So to your point, like the way that airlines adopt will likely be very, rental car companies. Like I think it'll permeate through, The entire travel industry. Airports, for that matter. Absolutely. You might not be equipped to just wait in a regular line. You might have to be in a different waiting area or the boarding process. Like, there are all of these Mm -hmm. things. I mean, I I won't go so far as to say there might just be specific airlines that are dedicated to medical tourism. Mm -hmm. Like, if it gets to that point and that's what you need, like, it's realistic to assume that that might be a very real thing. Yeah. And again, we don't talk about people who relocate to be near specialty centers or places where uh, medicine, whether it's cannabis or a different type of medication is legal or cheaper as a form of medical tourism. We kind of say that's just what they had to do or that's what they chose to do. But it, it all is under this umbrella of, of traveling to get care. Yeah. I will say there, there's a pretty obvious barrier that we haven't spoken about, which is that only about a third of Americans have a passport. Yeah. So there's only so many people who are even able to take advantage of these opportunities. And my hope is that as this evolves, we can figure out temporary or affordable expedited services that allow more of us the ability to experience or take advantage of these savings. Yeah. Otherwise, it becomes a perk or an option just for people who can afford it, right? Right now, about 64% of households earning over $100,000 have a passport, and that number drops to 44% for households earning between $50,000 and $100,000, and then down to 21% when you look at households with half the income. And so, again, the numbers of people who have a passport and can take advantage of this in lower income households is significantly smaller. Yeah. My hope is that it becomes a motivator for the U S in some way to kind of reevaluate to your point, what that application process looks like and to be able to move certain passport sort of approvals or issuing further up. Because I remember just getting uh mind renewed and that took like, and this was during the earlier days of the pandemic it was like a 10 week process, right? Mm-hmm. Now, luckily I knew enough to do that in far in advance of us having any travel book. But if you're in a dire situation and you need to have a medical procedure done, you don't have the money to pay for it here in the U S but you can't afford it abroad. I'd hate to know that something like a $200 passport is the thing that kind of gets in the way. So right. I appreciate you calling that out. All right. Was that your final thought or do you have? No, I have a final thought. Okay. thought. A final, final, thought. A final, final. <laughs> All right. So my final thought is just kind of reiterating the points you've already made, because I want to make sure that we're not positioning medical tourism as a reliable substitute for health insurance. Mm. This is an option that makes sense if you're seeking a specific procedure or a treatment that isn't available in your home country, or maybe when the cost of healthcare is significantly lower somewhere else. But as we've mentioned a couple of times, it can be unpredictable and risky. If you have complications, you may not get the same legal protections as you do here, or there may be language barriers or cultural differences that prevent you from getting the follow-up care that you need. So we're sharing it because it's a useful option. And like most new quote-unquote things that we talk about on this podcast, 
the best practices for taking advantage of it are all over the place. So you don't have to go all in on this thing. You don't have to completely cancel your health insurance and say, I'm a medical tourist. I'll just get what I need out of the country. You don't have to do all that. Maybe start with a small cosmetic procedure like getting your teeth cleaned or a little Botox injection the next time you're in a foreign country. Or maybe during your next vacation, you can swing by the pharmacia and get a few items that you would normally pay more for. Use the online tools to find communities of people that will help you navigate this new terrain. And then don't forget to share what you learn because that's the only way this moves forward. Yeah, yeah, I love it. My final thought is really kind of reflective. I mean, you know, to your point about having a passport, we've had the privilege of seeing several corners of the world and uh, we kind of have this baseline comfort level with international travel. Mm -hmm. So I'm really sensitive to the fact that not a lot of people are familiar with doing that. Um, And so I I know how odd or uncomfortable just the idea uh, might be. And so if you are out there and it's something that you're thinking of, whether it's for yourself or as you're foreshadowing some future needs that an elder in your life might need, I just want to like offer you a dose of confidence to say that, like, put it on the table, Mm -hmm. at least discuss it and don't let the discomfort or things like the language barriers get in the way. To Kirsten's point, there are really, really sophisticated tools out there these days, like Google Translate, Mm -hmm. that can literally make it so much easier for you to basically speak into your phone and then use that to help translate to someone exactly what you need. And again, I'm not saying that you're life or death situation and you're trying to explain something complicated, but for the most part, you should be able to conduct basic transactions that way. But either way, medical tourism is here to stay. Again, Mm -hmm. as someone that has studied it to a small degree from a personal finance standpoint, but also as someone who's thinking about this and have thought about this from a hospitality standpoint, those are not numbers that anyone is going to ignore. And so I 100% believe that there is an entire industry being built around this. And hopefully, um, if we're fortunate enough to take advantage of it, we'll share more. But if you're out there and you get an opportunity to take advantage of it, we encourage you to do the same thing. Yes. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success. They say laughter is the best medicine. So if we've tickled your funny bone on this episode... Head on over to the Apple Ratings and Review page and leave us a five-star rating and review. Look at that. Stacked. Okay. Uh, I'm getting Janine Abbott Elementary (laughs) vibes with that joke, but I'll accept it. Whatever. We'll see y'all next week.